This is Jennifer Pepito with the Restoration Home Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the peaceful path to connected families and restored communities. Today on the show, I'm talking to Katie Westenberg. We're on a month-long session talking about balance in our pursuit of restoration. And I'm really excited to chat with Katie because I think she's dealt with some of the discomfort and distractions that I've dealt with in her pursuit of more balance. Thanks for joining me today, Katie. Thank you, Jennifer. It's an honor to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you because in your bio, you talk a little bit about doom scrolling. And I have to admit that I struggle with doom scrolling. I actually, I I think I talked about this before in the book, the body keeps the score. He talks about how, when you've endured some kind of trauma, you'll often try to recreate that trauma. And I think like COVID and the pandemic, all that was so traumatic in a way that now I will, you know, if I'm bored, I'll go on Twitter and see what terrible things are happening lately. (laughs) Can you relate? Yes, absolutely. And the access is just so easy nowadays, right? It's easy to find. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like inherently evil until you're seeing, you know, pictures like I I accidentally saw a video of, you know, there was a, somebody ran down some people in Texas and it's like people like humans are not made to watch these kind of things. Like this is horrible And so I love that you're talking about distractions. And I think part of that is just finding balance in our lives. Like we live in a world where there is too much information. And in my book that I'm working on and in this podcast, we've been talking about how we can apply the Benedictine rules to our lives today. And even how you can see those rules at work in the lives of people like Amy Carmichael and Edith Schaefer. Mm-hmm. And the the person that I use to illustrate the concept of balance is Madeline LaEngle, because she actually was, you know, an Orthodox, she was an Anglican Christian, very faithful with her scripture study, but in some ways was a little bit of an outlier culturally to much of Christianity in her, in her heyday. Right, right. Yeah. So I, I thought it'd be fun for one thing to talk about what is sometimes underneath the distractions? Like for me, part of what I'm after when I go on Twitter is to make sense of the world. You know, I we're trying to make decisions for the future. And I think our eschatology can really come into play here because I have friends who have what they call victorious or reconstruction theology, where they somewhat believe that things are just going to keep getting better in Mm -hmm, the world. mm -hmm. I find that a little hard to prove at the moment, but, (laughs) and then there's also friends who are pre-tribulation end timers where they think anytime now they're going to get raptured out, like pre-trib rapture people. Right. Anytime they're going to get raptured out. So no worries. They can just keep on having fun. And then I have friends who are more like prepping for the end times. They're prepping for the great persecution and they believe that's imminent. And so I think that sometimes when I go online, I'm like, what really is happening? I don't really know. I'm a pan millennialist. Mm-hmm. pan millennial. I'm pan millennial. That means however it pans out. Right. <laughs> Not to be overly lighthearted about this, but the Bible does say we don't know the day or the hour. We don't know. And so instead of being overly, you know, fixated on it. I'm just doing my best to occupy until he comes or be the virgins with your lamps full. 
But how have you seen that kind of end times theology play into your distractedness and even your fears for the future? Right. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said we're just trying to make sense of it all. Whatever that sense looks like to us, whatever category we might be trying to put that in, we're trying to understand like, how does this war come into play? How do these tensions come into play? How does China come into play? You know, I'm trying to figure that out. Like I like it's a, a riddle for me to solve sometimes when I'm looking online, but I don't realize like exactly what you alluded to. What's the underlying issue behind it just to know more? And is this a healthy place for me to be? Because what is it doing to my heart and my mind in the moment? Because even though those are healthy things, like it is important to be wise to our times, but sometimes with the access to information that has really challenged us because there's just so much that it impacts our effect in our day, in our homes. Yeah. And the truth is the news is very divisive. Do you know, like depending on what angle you come at it, you could be um, you could be getting more and more worried and afraid that you're going to be a victim of racism or you could be more and more worried and afraid that global warming is going to take us all out or you could be more and more worried and afraid that China is going to evade and kill us all. You know, there's there are our own fears are highlighted when we go online. Because if you read something, then the algorithm is going to feed you a bunch more of that something. And so that's part that's part of the frightening part of being overly informed is that our own fears are growing bigger and being fed by what we read. And the, and the, it's a diverse set of fears, right? Like I, I might have a certain set. Another person might have almost the opposite set of fears, but we're all being fed these fears that divide us. That's exactly right. And then at the same time, you have to assess how much of this is really even news. That's what I've noticed lately. I was a newspaper reader long before I was even an online scroller, right? I like to be aware of what was going on. But it seems lately when I look at a news source that I'm reading stuff, like you said, there's an incident that happened in Texas. Every day, there's a hundred dire or disgusting incidents that I'm, I could easily read online. And I think, how much of this is really news? How much of this do I really need to know? Is this guiding my heart in a direction that I want it to be going? So it's a question I have to ask behind that because it all impacts how I operate in my home as a wife, as a mom. Totally. I I did an episode with Stephen Lawson, who's the founder of the Monk Manual, and he talked about how he intentionally keeps himself a little bit uninformed. And I think that is the key for us, you know, especially as women who are trying to pursue peaceful restoration homes. You know, I want my home to be a place of refuge from the world and not a place where people are disturbed or their peace is eroded because we're over-informed. And I think that is where balance comes in because we could think, oh my gosh, I've got to be informed. I've got to know what to do so I can prepare for the future. But there is an element of knowing what the Bible says, which is that fret not because of evildoers. They will be taken out. The, The wicked will be cut down. So we really don't have to worry about what's happening in the world. We can just, what does the Bible say? Delight yourself in the Lord feed on his faithfulness, um, you know, obey him, follow his commandments. We can just be faithful in our homes. And so I think there is a, you know, I love that you call it avoiding distractions or you're talking about distractions in your new book, because it is essentially 
we have to redirect our attention toward what is good and beautiful and true. That's right. Exactly. So tell me some of the ways that you started doing that. Like for me, if I can go on a hike out of service or if I can get out in my garden or bake sourdough bread, all of those things bring so much peace to my body and my soul and help me redirect my attention. What are some other ways that you've been able to fight distraction, redirect your attention? Yeah. A healthy way is always just praise, right? If Even if you don't have the words, you can turn on some music and and fill your home with worship and praise instead of fear. And sometimes my kids have been super helpful in this. I will just be in the middle of a of a thought hurricane, right? Just just all these things and what does this mean and what do I feel about this and how is this going to impact my kids? And I remember a specific moment where my youngest was just singing a little song from church and I thought that's exactly what I want to reign in my home right now and I grabbed the iPad and turned on some music and turned it up like I want to redirect the situation I want to be reminded of what is true of who God is regardless of these outlying issues so praise has always been a, a good one I work a lot on scripture memorization because I think it's something we somehow believe we outgrow but I find that I, I like to be in the word and I'm pretty disciplined about it. But when life seems off kilter, my mind can spin when I sit with the word, just like, you know, when you read a paragraph and you hardly take anything of it, that in. So it's the truth that I've committed to memory that I need to recall at that time because nothing else is getting in. I need to recall what I've known about God. So that's been a helpful tool for me too. Those are such good tools, reading scripture, memorizing scripture and singing. That was one of the chapters in my book, Mothering by the Book, was just about how when we sing, our minds stop worrying. I mean, they can't do both at the same time. And mm -hmm. so it is such a powerful practice for overcoming distraction, overcoming fear and worry. What do you, you know, how do you take those thoughts captive, though, as they come? Because we, I mean, we can sing a lot of the day, but we can't necessarily sing every minute of the day. What does it look like for you to take those distracting thoughts or even those scary thoughts captive? So one of the most powerful questions that I kind of discuss in the book, and it was at a hinge point for me, was being asked the question, what are you believing to be true about God right now? And a friend called me out on that in a time I was sharing some worry with her. And um, the directness of that question was unsettling to me because I, I could tell you everything I believe to be true about God. But my pre practical theology in that moment, what I was living out was a different thing. I was scared that he wasn't going to show up. I was, I was in my words and in my thoughts and in my heart, I was believing he's not going to be faithful. Like all these things I say, I'm not, I'm not living that out in this moment. So that taking thoughts captive have been, I, I feel like sometimes we, we sit on that verse and we think, okay, I'm going to take these thoughts captive. But the next step is that in that is bringing them into obedience. So it's committing those truths. Okay, you are the God that parted the Red Seas. And I believe you're still that God today. So even though I can't see it, that's what faith is, right? We're actually believing for the future. This is what it's going to look like because of what we know in him, of him in the past. So it's really just been taking that next step. Okay, this is who you are. I don't care what I can see or what I can feel right now. Those matter, but that's not reality. The reality is you are the God who does this. You are the God that loves this way. And it's not only the experiences I've had in my own life, but they're the ones I've read in scripture or I've read in those fantastic biographies you've talked about. So um, all of that has helped me move forward in faith rather than fear. 
Yeah, that's really insightful. You know, one of the things I think we can give ourselves a pass on as moms is fear. You know, we almost, we, we can be judgy about other people's sins. Like, oh my gosh, they drink too much or, oh my goodness, they have this, you know, this, whatever they spend too much. And then we indulge in fear. We almost have an addiction to fear and it manipulates the way we interact with our kids. It makes us unpleasant with our spouses. This is why I'm so passionate about helping moms overcome it is because it, it's sinful. It's It causes so much harm to our families, but we often just give ourselves this like license to be afraid. And it's natural. What are some of the things that you've done in your life as a mom to turn your attention away from fear and to believe what is true? Well, the first thing is to, to recognize it. Like you talked about earlier, you said getting behind the distractions. And, and sometimes we don't take the time to do that. What is behind this fear. Okay. So I'm scared of my kids getting a job outside the home. I'm scared of them participating in these activities. Like what's behind that? What am I really protecting them from? What am I really scared of, of being alone, of bad influences in their life? Because then once you get behind that, you can, you can realize what you're believing to be true about God. Do, do I believe he's enough to meet them there or do I not? And when you ask that question, it all, it all seems kind of ridiculous. And it's not about the job or about soccer or about them dating anymore. It's, it's turning your faith over to God. I'm going to give him control. I'm not going to be in control of all of this. And that's just me grasping for more control. And we just don't always see it as that. We call it by another name. So it looks a little cuter, but it's still a cancer that's affecting our relationship with our kids and our relationship with God. Yeah. It's really good that, that you are highlighting the importance of overcoming this because it does, it creates so much havoc in our homes. One of the things that I've done as I've worked through my own fears is a personal timeline, because I think that for one thing, when we look at our history, we can often see how God has come through. You know, we had in our early years of marriage, financial troubles and a car that was broken down, but we didn't stay in that season forever. God delivered us from it. You know, we had children who were up at night or not potty training or sick, but we didn't stay in that. God delivered us. And so I think having a timeline for one thing that shows the ways that God has come through, but also a timeline that highlights what are some of the hard things that I've experienced that maybe I haven't taken time to process fully and they're still keeping me locked in this, you know, this anguish and fear. What have you, you know, have you gone through some of that, like recognize how some of your history has impacted your distractedness or the fears that you face? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you mentioned the timeline because we have an exercise of that in the book where let, let's look at this because I think we're fast forgetters on the goodness of God in our lives or we just don't recognize it. We forget the things we pray for. So we forget the answered prayers. There's a story, a story I share in the book about um, just how we live out in the country. We're able to build a house about 10 years ago. And it was a, a time where the market was just right. My husband and I were saving and we received some great counsel. We were, we were thinking, we'll just keep saving and keep saving. And some older um, mentors in our life advised us like, you guys are on a great path and your kids are going to grow up quickly. So we'd really recommend that you do this now, which kind of caught us by surprise. Anyhow, as my kids grew up, they were pretty young when we did that. And um, they had never really heard the story of God's faithfulness at this time. Because the interesting thing is now house, housing prices have just risen where we live. And we were telling them that we probably couldn't even afford to build this house now. The way the market has changed, housing so much more expensive on one income, it wouldn't be possible. And they were shocked by that. 
And then we broke that down and told them, well, you probably don't realize the whole story of God's faithfulness. And we poured it out before them. And I thought, if we don't tell them the stories of God's faithfulness, one, we forget. And two, it does not get passed on. That's our job, which is super interesting when you study the science of the brain. There's two ways we remember. One is encoding, getting it in there. But the second way is recall, getting it out. So that that retelling, the testimony of God's faithfulness is not only good for my own brain, but that's how we pass it on as well. I love that, especially because as a Charlotte Mason homeschooler, narration is such an integral part of our homeschool. You know, we, we read books and we narrate them. And I think helping our children know how to narrate their lives by modeling that for them is such an important way, not only to help them get educated, but also to help them make sense of their story. You know, when I can talk to my children about what we were dealing with, you know, as missionaries living off grid with a new baby and recovering from a C-section, then it can help them understand why, Maybe it was a time where I was a little bit more distracted from being present with them. Or, you know, when we, when we can talk about some of the things that we've gone through. And so I love that, you know, that narration is such an important piece of raising children, especially if we want our children to follow our faith, to love God, to have a heart of restoration towards the world. We have to help them understand our own restoration story because our stories are the ones that are really going to impact them even more than the beautiful books that we're reading to them. Absolutely. That's the one they've lived, right? Alongside you to a certain extent. Yes, for sure. And it just is so helpful for them and even making sense of their own struggles and stories. So one of the things I feel like has caused distraction for me sometimes is my own homeschool journey. You know, we're trying to get more balance in our lives and not veer to like rigidity where we're, you know, so rigid about the schedule or we're so rigid about not having any screens or we're so rigid about this or the other side where we throw it all out the window and we have no values, no character, no rhythm, no rituals, no rules. So we want to find balance, right? But I think sometimes we start out trying to implement maybe less screen time or maybe it's more consistent chores or more consistent homework or homeschooling or housework, whatever it is. So we start out with these great intentions and then we get distracted or a kid has a meltdown or, you know, we wake up sick, something happens and we get thrown off. Mm -hmm. How do we recover after those kinds of distractions and setbacks? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a tricky one. It's one step at a time. I was reading Revelations recently, and it seems like when you read through passages you've read through before, your differing stage of life or things that are going on just make things jump off the page that you you know hadn't recognized in the past. And I noticed in the letters to three of the churches, he's talking about uh, patient endurance. And that, that term right there, I thought, I have not noticed that before, just patient endurance. That means again and again tomorrow and again when it messes up. And I remember when my babies, when they were really young and I was trying to get them to sleep through the night and you're going through that struggle and, um, and you'd, you'd get it down. So you're getting all the rest and then all of a sudden they'd get sick and it, the whole apple cart would get upturned. And I was just thinking they're, they're just never going to learn it again. It's just never going to happen. You know, I'm just going to be up every, every night from now on, but they learn again and you get back in the rhythm. And that was wisdom. I was later able to pass on to other moms. Like I, I 
promise you'll, you're going to establish it again. You had a few rough nights and they're sick, but they're going to get better and you're going to get the routine. And that's really just the same scenario in all of life, right? If I'm dedicated to being faithful here, then when it goes awry and, and when I slip into that again, because there's a new big news story that I really want to know what's going on. And then I notice I've been way too absorbed in this. This is not a healthy use of my time. This is not thinking on whatever is lovely and pure. So I, I've learned as much as I need to about this and I need to let it go. Then I go back on the path of following. So it's not that we'll never trip and fall, but faithfulness is getting up with that patient endurance and starting again. Yes, absolutely. That is it. You know, I I was listening to Atomic Habits by James Clear yesterday, and he just talks about how the two-minute rule, just doing something for two minutes a day can make these dramatic changes in our lives. So it's not that we are not going to fail. We are 100% going to fail. We're going to have bad days. We're going to get distracted and, and be doom scrolling again. We know it hurts us, but we just have to keep working towards those values. And I think knowing your values is key, which is why I created the peaceful life planner. It just has all these helpful questions that can give you an opportunity to define what your values are so that you know why you're avoiding distractions. And I know you have a new book out also, Katie, called But Then She Remembered. Tell us a little bit about that and where we can find it. Yeah, that's kind of the summation of what we've been talking about. And I think for me, it came to a head when my kids started to move into the teenage years, because like you said, we can keep those quiet fears. But as our kids become teens, they become uh, better noticers of the way mom spends her time and the way she interacts. And it's not as easy to hide things from them that we can't before those toddlers or what have you. So it really caused me to think, if I want to lead these teens well and I want them to use technology well, then I better get faithful with it in my own life too. So that's really when the whole idea of um, fighting these distractions intentionally and making sure it lines up with truth in the word came about. But the book is called, But Then She Remembered, uh, How to Give God Your Full Attention in a Distracted World. And it's, it's available everywhere books are sold right now. Wonderful. I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom today. I know families are going to be encouraged as they try to find balance and stay on that sweet path of the Lord in a very distracting world. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Jennifer. Jennifer.